Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. Is Vladimir Putin committing genocide against Ukrainian children? Because the International Criminal Court seems to think so. It's issued an arrest warrant for him. So what is it for and will it mean anything? Could Vladimir Putin end up behind bars anytime soon? In a bit, we're going to get into this. Later, we're going to be talking about Gwyneth Paltrow's latest controversy. I know you've seen it. We've got a doctor on to discuss the health implications. And just a heads up, we will be speaking about eating disorders. So if you might be triggered by that, it's probably a good idea not to listen to that part of the podcast. First, though. Hack. These kind of displays are totally unacceptable and deeply disturbing for so many Victorians. On Triple J. Yeah, the scenes out of Melbourne over the weekend were confronting, to say the least. An anti-trans protest outside the Victorian Parliament descending into chaos. We saw a group of men doing Nazi salutes. A recognisably vile gesture that conjures up so much trauma and hurt for so many people. The thing is, though, there's no law against it. And while other hate symbols have been banned in states across the country, this salute has not been banned. The Victorian government says it's going to change that, but what about the rest of the country? April McLennan has more. A group of men, many masked and dressed in black, raised their arms in a Nazi salute on the steps of Victoria's Parliament on Saturday. The men had gathered in support of British anti-transgender activist Posey Parker, also known as Kelly J. Keane Minshall, who was speaking at the demonstration as part of a national tour. Along with Ms Parker's supporters, a few other groups gathered at Parliament House. Some held up anti-vaccine slogans. And there was also a big counter-rally in support of trans rights. Police officers on foot and on horses worked to calm the crowds. But it wasn't long until clashes broke out between rival groups. But not everyone at the rally was masked. Victorian MP Moira Deeming actually attended and spoke at the event. And now Victoria's Liberal leader wants to kick her out of the party because of her involvement. Last year, Victoria became the first place in Australia to ban the Nazi swastika. And anyone who chooses to show them publicly now faces jail time and some pretty hefty fines. Other places around the country have now moved to make similar laws. And Victoria's Attorney General, Jacqueline Symes, says they're going to take steps to make the Nazi salute illegal too. The behaviour we saw on the weekend was just disgusting. It was cowardly, a sense of sadness, outrage and disbelief all at once. It's clear that this symbol is being used to incite hatred against a variety of people, a variety of minority groups, people that believe others don't belong in Victoria. Now as considerations are given to broadening that legislation, this calls for a unified approach across the country. Federal Labor MP Josh Burns is also calling for the salute to be banned. If it's not alright to display a Nazi symbol in Victoria and in Melbourne, why is it okay to prance up and down Spring Street outside our Victorian Parliament Uh, doing the Nazi salute. It seems like there is a gap and I I think we need to work across governments to work out how we can plug that. In Tassie this week, they're actually going to be debating legislation to ban Nazi symbols in public. And while this doesn't currently include the Nazi salute, the government says they might consider banning this too. 
But while all this debate is happening inside Parliament, outside the building, Ms Parker's actually going to be holding another rally in Hobart tomorrow. And despite mounting pressure on the Tassie government to stop the event, they made the decision this afternoon to let it go ahead in the interest of a democratic society. Equality Tasmania believes that it is wildly inappropriate to have someone who attracts Nazi sympathisers to an event to be allowed to speak in front of Parliament House, the home of democracy in Tasmania. That's Lucy Mercer-Mapston from Equality Tasmania. She says in response to the rally, they're going to hold a peaceful vigil at the same time to show support for trans and gender diverse people. The hurt that this is causing the trans and gender diverse community in Tasmania is indescribable. The slurs that we're hearing from the speaker and from her supporters are abhorrent and do nothing to create the kind of inclusive state that Tasmania wants to be. After this pretty hectic rally in Melbourne, Immigration New Zealand is now reviewing whether or not Miss Parker will be allowed to travel to New Zealand to continue her tour. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan with that update. And yeah, we asked the Immigration Minister in Australia if he was considering cancelling the anti-trans activist Posey Parker's visa. In a statement, he said the government does not comment on individual visa cases. Any visa holder in Australia must continue to meet health, security and character requirements and also said Nazism, bigotry and racism have no place in Australia. We did ask both the Victorian opposition leader, John Pesuto, to come on. He wasn't available. Also, the Victorian Attorney General... The Attorney-General, though, did give a statement, labelled the behaviour over the weekend disgraceful and cowardly and committed to banning the Nazi salute in Victoria, which is something I want to unpack a bit more now. With us is Dr Joshua Ruse. He's an extremism expert at Deakin Uni. We speak to him quite a bit on Hack. Hey, Josh, thanks for coming on Hack. Okay. We've seen recently the swastika being banned across Australia has that led to an increase in the use of the Nazi salute? Are these extremism groups and people linked to them using that more because they can't use the swastika? Well, we know Nazi groups and, and far-right extremists have, have long used the salute as a form of setting themselves apart as a form of community, but also to intimidate and harass and to, to threaten minority groups uh, and, and also to, to, provoke, to provoke a response. It's, it's possible in this instance that uh, those, those individuals have certainly sought to exploit the loophole that has banned the swastika, but not banned uh, salute. You've written quite a bit in the past about whether a ban on the Nazi salute would A, be effective, B, be enforceable. What do you think? Do you think a ban would work? What the ban is is a very targeted intervention into public space. A lot of people who... Uh, are worried about, for example, the impact on liberty or how difficult it might be to enforce. What it is, it's a very targeted approach. And what it focuses on is a symbolic act that has a direct lineage to the horrors and the atrocity of the Holocaust. The Nazi salute was used by an entire country and effectively the National Socialist Movement for many years as a form of community cohesion, as a form of solidarity and as a um, cult that had built around uh, Hitler. So to that extent, what we see here is not a, not a targeting of free speech or any, any sort of wider event. We're seeing a very narrow targeting of a symbolic act that is designed to incite fear, designed to harass, 
that was designed to, to threaten others, but we also see that they use it to recruit and they use it to uh, effectively set themselves apart as a, a very closed, solitaristic, sort of tough community, which might inspire a couple of men, young men in particular, to, to that movement. And that's how they've built their, their movement over time. So really it's about shutting down a very narrow, a very, it's a really targeted intervention that shuts down a very narrow act. Do we need to see nationally consistent laws? Because we've got Victoria's government now saying, look, we want to ban the salute. Also saying, though, it's going to take some time to potentially change the laws or bring in new laws. Should other jurisdictions be looking to do the same thing now as well? Well, yeah, other jurisdictions are looking at this um this approach and, and, and certainly seeking to implement it in relation to the use of the swastika, and, and that's nationwide. They may well now, in the context of what's going on, uh, seek to expand the scope. What we're seeing here, though, is very strong government action to, again, narrow uh, the, the freedom of movement of an extremist group who is seeking to undermine democracy, seeking to target and harass members of our community, and, and, and have been getting away with it for a long period of time. This is a really positive step. What have other countries done? Because I imagine, for instance, with Germany, they'd have very, very strict uh, laws and rules around this. Is it something that countries around the world have grappled with as well? Oh, that's right. I mean, arguments about liberty are non-starter in in large parts of Europe, precisely because they're most familiar with what occurred during the Nazi regime in the Second World War. So we know that um, some countries have specifically banned the salute, like Austria, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Poland. Others have broader statutes that, that capture it. So Switzerland and Sweden are examples where there's been an attempt to not, not ban the salute specifically, but to frame it as a form of hate speech. And then in the UK, most recently, um, it's been used to target, target the salute as a form of racial harassment and aggravated harassment that causes harm. So by actually making it illegal, you can actually enforce, you know, for example, the arrest of such individuals, place them on the radar and actually keep an eye on them because they are demonstrating uh, effectively an affinity or a loyalty to a hate-filled ideology that has no place in this country. The question I've got, Josh, is if there is a ban on this gesture, on this salute, does it mean we're going to see extremist groups appropriate other symbols? Like, for instance, there's that OK symbol that we've seen in the past used by white supremacists. Are we just going to see um, a big boost in, in in that being used or other symbols being used? There's a potentially infinite variety of symbols and gestures and, and, and words that they can use. What we're talking about here is a form of violent symbology that has a direct lineage to, to genocide and to uh, the Holocaust and, and, and has that extreme violent connotation. Everyone knows what it is, like globally. So these other symbols, these other forms of, of, of words and so on, they don't have that same power. That's precisely why these far-right groups use it. They use it because it offers them a sense of power. It, it gives them a sense of being something a lot bigger and, and you know, more profound than they actually are. Well, we'll definitely be keeping track of this issue. It it is a big one. We appreciate your insight into it. Extremism expert Dr Josh Roos, thanks for joining us on Hack. Thanks for your time. Hack on Triple J. And on the text line, comments coming through. Zach says, how are they allowing the rallies at all? Forget the Nazism. Promoting anti-trans behaviour and abuse is disgusting. 
And somebody else says, remember that fascist ideology in any form is incompatible with a democracy. Hack. These children were really given no choice but to go to Russia. On Triple J. An arrest warrant has been issued for Russian President Vladimir Putin. The International Criminal Court has made this announcement over the past couple of days. When I saw this headline, I thought, is there anything to this? Could he actually end up behind bars? And what specifically is this about? Well, it turns out it's about the unlawful deportation of children and the unlawful transfer of people from Ukraine to Russia. And then I read more that Ukraine's government says 16,000 children may have been abducted. But some think the numbers could actually be a lot higher. So what is happening here? And will Vladimir Putin be forced to face these charges? Yvonne Breitwieser-Faria is an academic in law at the University of Queensland, and she's with us now. Yvonne, thanks for joining us on Hack. Thank you for having me, Dave. Can you explain what is being alleged here? How are these children being abducted? Yeah, so this has been going on for quite a while and there's actually, there's multiple methods that Russia seems to be implementing to kind of get Ukrainian children across the border. So this actually started back in 2014 with um, Russia's annexation of Crimea and within Crimea itself, obviously now it's Russian held, has been since 2014, these forced and illegal adoptions of Ukrainian children has been happening. And just before the official invasion of all of Ukraine in February of last year, this has actually expanded to the rest of Ukraine. So now what's going on is we're seeing alleged orphans being adopted by Russian families because Russia is evacuating them, so they say, um, in an effort to relieve war-traumatized children and to give them some safety and a new lease of life, so to speak. Another measure that's being used appears to be that Russia is actually, is, sorry, is actually um, advertising some of their recreational camps as summer camps. So under duress or with with the um, consent of the parents, we're seeing a lot of Ukrainian children being brought to these summer camps, allegedly, and then all contact is broken off. So do we know or, do we know how many children have been caught up in this? Because I did see a number of sixteen thousand, but could it be a lot more? Yes, so that's right. So Ukrainian officials are able to officially identify over 16,000 deported children as early as March of this year, which in itself is an amazing number. That It's a ridiculous number in itself. But other estimates suggest that the real number might actually be as high as 400,000 or even 700,000. Wow. Okay. I mean, another really kind of interesting aspect to this was that I read it could be considered genocide and that surprised me, I guess. How is genocide defined? That's right. So I suppose the most common assumption is that genocide involves the killing of a specified group, right? Um, But the fact is that the crime of genocide actually more centres around the intent of destroying 
are essentially eradicating a specific group on the basis of either their religion, their nationality, their ethnicity, or their race, either in whole or in part. And that's not limited to only murdering them. So international law actually defines genocide through multiple measures. So it could be the killing of a group, which seems to be the most obvious to most of us, but it could also include measures that are intended to prevent births within a specific group, or as in our case, it could be the forcible trans, um, the forcible transferring of children from the prosecutor group to another group. Right. Okay. So is it likely that Vladimir Putin, with this arrest warrant out, will be arrested? Does it mean when he enters a, another country that he faces that risk? Yes, so that's um, fantastic. So the, the warrants that the International Criminal Court has issued were a legal milestone. Um, I don't think there have been many people who were... It, Everyone's been very happy, so to speak, who's um, obviously not on Russia's side, um, because now we have a legal basis, a sound legal basis, if Vladimir Putin was to leave Russia and was to travel to a state party of the ICC, the International Criminal Court, then in theory, he should be arrested by that state party. And who is investigating this? Um, there are multiple um, organizations that are investigating the alleged crimes that Russia, as well as Ukraine, are conducting. But in relation to the forced transfers of the children, this has been investigated by a UN body. So the UN Human Rights Council set up an independent international commission of inquiry on Ukraine, who's just released a report just last week as well. Amnesty International is investigating this. Yale's Humanitarian Research Lab is investigating this along in collab collaboration with the U.S. State Department and multiple others. And, of course, the International Criminal Court itself is investigating atrocities committed right. in Ukraine. Right. It's. I mean, it's so interesting to hear about what these allegations are, and I'm guessing we're going to find out a lot more in the months ahead. Avon. Bright Visa Faria from the University of Queensland. Thank you so much for filling us in and joining us on Hack. Thank you very much. Hack. I have bone broth for lunch a lot. It's really important for me to support my detox. On Triple J. Hey, just a heads up. We're about to speak about disordered eating and eating habits. If this might raise anything for you, if you could um, potentially see it as a trigger, it's a good idea to switch off for the rest of the show. Gwyneth Paltrow. She's known less for her acting and more for her controversies these days. And the latest doesn't have people laughing at her bizarre wellness claims used to promote her business. It's actually got people very concerned and some very angry. She's done an interview on a podcast about her wellness routine. Now, she's claiming it's not meant to be advice for anybody else, but regardless, experts are concerned about what seems to be her promoting under-eating, under-nutrition, talking about regularly having bone broth as a main meal, also saying all of this while hooked up to an intravenous or IV line, supposedly full of vitamins. In a minute, we're going to get a doctor's view on all of this. But first, Claire Stevens is the executive editor of Mamma Mia. She's been looking into this latest controversy with Gwyneth Paltrow. She's with us now. 
Hey, Claire, I feel like most people listening now will have seen at least a couple of headlines about Gwyneth and her wild claims over the years. Were you surprised when you saw this latest one? I wasn't surprised. I, by virtue of working in women's media for the better part of a decade, I am very across Gwyneth. And the fact that she's become a little bit of a punchline or a joke in that she puts forward these ridiculous wellness methods and ideas and for the most part we just laugh. But I think it was interesting to see the response to the latest claims from her because I think the tide has turned. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Why is it that people aren't brushing this one off, that people aren't laughing as much, do you think? I think it's the audience that it found. So the audience that it found was it really went viral on TikTok. So a clip from the Art of Being Well podcast, which it I had a look, I don't think many people listen to it. It's not a big podcast. But a clip of it went viral on TikTok and then Gen Z basically said, enough, we shan't be having the toxic dieting behaviour that the generations above us had. I think a lot of um, millennials or anybody older probably wouldn't have even questioned it because that's what we grew up with. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. And you've seen kind of that shift, as you say, in the years that you've been covering these issues. Gwyneth has this history with controversy, doesn't she? Like what else has she said in the past? (sighs) She has got such a history. So she's been saying bizarre things for decades. She's known for saying things like she encouraged women to steam their vaginas in 2015. She, um, in 2016, she told the New York Times about being stung by bees to reduce scars and reduce inflammation. In 2017, Goop began selling jade eggs and she said that they enhance libido and physical appearance. And in 2021, she did her skincare routine with Vogue and she put her sunscreen on like highlighter, like just a little bit on her nose and her cheeks and basically said she didn't want to use a lot of sunscreen because it is full of toxic chemicals. So she's been in this woo-woo, strange wellness place for a long time. Yeah, right. What has she said about this backlash? Because she was on Instagram over the weekend, right, responding to some uh, of the concerns and anger about what she said. Yeah, so she responded to a question from a fan and she said this was a conversation between me and my doctor about my own personal health issues. She talked about having long COVID. She said that this was about inflammation, helping deal with inflammation around long COVID. And I think that doubling down has infuriated people even more because one, the interview and the doctor she's talking about is not a medical doctor. He's a doctor of chiropractic and functional medicine and natural medicine. And so she's kind of further perpetuating this idea that it was some kind of, you know, that it was actual health advice. But also a lot of people with long COVID are like, oh, cool. So you're going to tell us that we should be eating bone broth just because we have long COVID. So she's doubled down and people people are really frustrated. Yeah, I can imagine. What are your readers saying? How are they reacting? Because I can imagine the comments are flowing in pretty thick and fast with this one. Yeah. So the the kind of take we had on it was that this has been funny for a while. We've all been happy to joke about steaming our vaginas. That's because if you're going to steam your vagina, go steam your vagina. But there's something about the talking about food and diet 
that we know is contagious, that, that when you talk about specifically what you eat and you talk about disordered eating practices, women especially absorb them. And it plays into this toxic diet culture that so many of us have spent a really long time trying to resist. We are sick of being told that this is an okay way to exist and an okay way to live because it's not. We can't live on bone broth. Sorry. (laughs) Well, we're about to get into some of the health concerns actually right now. But look, this has definitely got people talking. We appreciate your take on this. Claire Stevens from Mamma Mia. Thanks for coming on Hack. Thank you. All right, let's speak to a real doctor now. You might know Dr. Michael Mrazinski just as Dr. Michael. He's big on TikTok and he's constantly calling out and debunking medical misinformation. Hey, Dr. Michael, thanks for coming on Hack. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, a pleasure to be here. So what's your response to Gwyneth's so-called wellness routine that she outlines in this podcast? Oh, goodness me. Where, where do we start? You know, it just um, strikes me that Gwyneth has got some really abnormal health beliefs. And it's really concerning because on social media, there's a really young audience that are quite naive to these things. And you get these kind of snippets of her interview that just get go viral and get hundreds of thousands of views and likes and shares. And to me, she's definitely there's definitely some signs of a, an eating disorder there, you know, replacing um, your normal diet with IV fluids and uh, bone broth and um, and just some vegetables is not enough. That's not a normal diet. And promoting that to younger uh, people who are on social media is really, really dangerous, especially now that people are so conscious about um, the way they look and losing weight and all these kind of things. I think it's really dangerous. And it, it's um, it just seems as if on social media, anything like this goes viral because it's different to you know, the the mainstream, what doctors tell you to do about having a healthy diet and healthy living, this is a complete opposite. And in a way, anything that's different on social media gets shared widely and just believed to be, you know, some kind of life hack or biohack, which is bizarre. If anything, it's going to make you more unwell. The other thing that a lot of people have picked up on is the IV line that she had, the intravenous line. We know that these have been growing in popularity uh, um, amongst, you know, young people in Australia but around the world. Can they be dangerous? Well, they they can be. I think there's this um, uh, belief, you know, at at best an IV fluid uh, drip um, for vitamins is a gimmick and at worst it's a scam because there is actually no medical benefit from having IV uh, vitamins through a drip. Um, you, you you can get these through your diet and you really don't need to do it. Um, so the first thing is it's going to be expensive for you. There's places charging um, you know a couple hundred bucks up to 500, 600 bucks for, um, for a half an hour drip. Um, but also I've seen people with complications from these, from having clots in their arms from where the, uh, where the infusion goes in to um, infections where the infusion lines go in. And it, it just promotes this kind of, it's, it's almost like, it's a kind of cool thing to do just now. So people are getting hooked up to drip and filming it for social media in a kind of cool clinic where it looks really good. And you would think that, it, you know, it would be doing something for you. But in actual fact, I've looked through all the medical evidence and there is none that support that this does anything for you. I mean, another thing that I imagine would piss you off is people being potentially hoodwinked by um, those out there using the title doctor who don't actually practice medicine, which we just heard from Claire before is what appears to be happening here. Um, Yeah, is this a big concern on social media? 
Yeah, this this is a huge concern for me, especially because I get sent videos from my followers uh, quite frequently about you know doctors that have um, been coming up with some of these uh, you know these kind of um, uh, tips and tricks on how to be healthier. And and in actual fact, again, because of the way social media is, people are on it and they they get through the, this content very very quickly, and they don't check the sources that these are coming from. So a lot of the times in the videos that I've been um, looking at, I have to go through these guys uh, other social media pages and their websites to try and find out what the qualifications are and it does you know inevitably turn out that they've been a chiropractor or a naturopathic doctor and they seem to be talking out with their scope of practice so you know as a doctor we um have a, a fairly um large scope of practice so we, we look at every aspect of medicine whereas you know chiropractors i've worked with some great ones who help out with musculoskeletal issues um, but when they start going into the kind of wellness route, it's, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt and you've got to, you know, fact check what they're saying and see if it's actually genuine or if, you know, if it's too good to be true, it usually is, unfortunately. Okay. Some very, very solid advice there. As always, we thank you very much, Dr. Michael. Thank you for joining us on Hack and giving us an expert's opinion. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And you can go follow him. Dr. Michael says on both TikTok and Instagram, he's a great resource, tells it as it is. When it comes to medical and lifestyle trends, Dr. Michael will be calling out the bullshit if it is bullshit. And remember, if this has raised anything for you, you can always call Lifeline on 13 11 14. The Butterfly Foundation as well is always there. That's on 1-800-33-4673. There are online resources as well that you can check out. Hack on Triple J. Big thanks again to all of our guests. That's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.